It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks, we're both longtime MMA journalists, And for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, over the weekend, we had this UFC Fight Night event, Max Holloway, third round KO over the Korean Zombie, Chan Sung Jung, leading to the Korean Zombie's retirement. And so I think we're going to spend a lot of this week's show talking about both of those guys, not only the performance of Max Holloway, but the somewhat graceful exit of the Korean zombie from this sport, assuming that it sticks, which is always the uh, caveat that you have to make about any MMA retirement. But it seemed like Chan Sung Jung did it about as well as you can possibly do it, at least over the short term. So we're going to try to give him his proper respect this week. And then I think we will look ahead to next week's UFC in Paris where uh, Cyril Gaon is going to fight Sergei Spivak. So a lot of stuff to talk to. I guess, first of all, though, man, morning fights, Saturday morning fights here in the one true time zone. I Here's the thing. I watched these fights sitting on my front porch, on my phone, drinking a cup of coffee, watching Max Holloway and the Korean Zombie. And as I tweeted at the time, It seems like there are at least a few things that we as a species have done correctly. And this is one of them. Being able to sit on your front porch in Missoula, Montana, and stream fights to your phone from Singapore and just have a lovely morning. And to have that be a totally normal thing to do. Yeah, not even remarkable. See, I feel like I timed this one pretty well because, you know, Saturday... One of the few mornings that sleeping in a little bit is an option for me. And so I woke up sort of 
check my phone just in time to see people talking about how Giga Chikadze and Alex Caceres were walking to the cage. And I was like, okay, that's so we have started at the point of the stuff that I care about on this fight card. Managed to sleep through the rest of it. Managed to roll out Chad well-rested, bright-eyed, possibly even bushy-tailed, just in time for the beginning of the relevant shit. Um, and I felt like that was just that's some serendipity bullshit right there. Yeah, I, I was similar. I was sitting around my house, and then I realized, hold up, these UFC fights are probably already on. And that's when I decided to carry my coffee out to the to the porch and see if I could get up on the ESPN Plus on my phone. And it was glorious. I have already said, but I'm just going to repeat. Absolutely glorious. Every fight in the UFC should be in the middle of the morning here in the mountain time zone where I can stretch my legs and uh, watch the birds and the cars go by and watch these fucking fights on my phone. Well, with this international stuff we're doing, I mean... We go from Singapore last weekend to Paris this weekend. Uh, get yourself ready because you're looking at a 1 p.m. start time for the main card in the One True Time Zone here on Saturday. Week after, we go to Australia for uh, UFC 293. So like I said last week, we're really getting back to a pre-pandemic UFC traveling circus feel where they just put up the big top. They do their thing, yep. they pull it down, they throw it on the train, and they move on to the next town. Logging some miles. That's right. That's right. Uh, remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries, but that's not all. You can find the Co-Main Event, Ben Folks and myself, all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event and get loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to the official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are over there chatting it up 24-7, 365 on any number of topics, MMA-related and otherwise. If that sounds good to you, but you're not totally sold and you're wondering what the Patreon is really all about, the good news is that right now you can sign up for a seven-day free trial at the $5 level. It's a great chance to check out a week's worth of the content over there and decide if you would like to take the plunge and sign up to become one of the beloved patrons of the co-main event. And the truth is, we can only keep making the show with the support of awesome listeners like you. So come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of people talking fights online. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. If you're up for it, you could also scoop up some dope co-main event podcast merchandise. Just head over to our brand new merch shop where you'll find old favorites like the original Dundasso t-shirt, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt, and also a lot of cool new stuff like the Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, officially licensed merchandise for the dreaded MMA gods, and of course, the hottest seller on the market, the Bobby Nux shirt. Just go to our website, comainevent.com, and click the link at the top of the page that says shop. As always, we're partnering with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. They are, they are a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough. For all your design needs, hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at studiosuperconductor. 
We got music this week from our friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more on Twitter at The Fifth Element at Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element official. As everybody knows by now, that's the word the with an A, The Fifth Element. Three rounds as usual this week in the Coming Event Podcast. And round number one, Max Holloway continues to be better than almost everyone at featherweight and maybe everybody in the UFC, except for the guy who happens to be the champion in his weight class. What's a guy to do? And in round number two, it was an emotional fight from start to finish, and when it was over, Chan Sung Jung made perhaps the most artful and beautiful exit from the sport we've ever seen. We discuss the Korean zombie. And in round number three, the UFC relentlessly pushes forward with Cyril Gon versus Sergei Spivak this weekend in Paris. If everything goes perfectly, one guy will win and one guy will lose. What else is at stake? We'll see if we can figure that out. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Have you signed up for your NordVPN deal exclusively through the co-main event? If you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content even when you're traveling. Stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have it. We both use it all the time. Ben, what's your favorite part? about using NordVPN. Well, Chad, I love how NordVPN will kick on to keep you protected as you bounce from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. doesn't matter where you're going. doesn't matter if you're preparing for the UFC in Paris by hopping over to your favorite baguette shop. doesn't matter, Chad, if you're then uh, you know, going over there to your favorite haberdashery to pick up a nice crisp beret. doesn't matter, in fact, if you are then swinging by for a giant carton of cigarettes on your way home to catch Cyril Gaon and Sergey Spivak, NordVPN has you covered. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. Sign up right now for any of NordVPN's handy two-year plans and get an additional four months for free by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. On top of that, you can get an additional month for free if you use those handy and exclusive CME links. Just use nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main when you sign up. This includes all plans, the standard plan, the plus plan, and the complete plan. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code, all one word, co-main. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Patrick Milder on Patreon. He writes, A quote from my wife during the second round of the Anthony Smith fight this weekend from Dr. Mary Milder. She says, quote, I sure wish Anthony Smith had another job. That really says it all, doesn't it? Also her, I just wish I could give Anthony Smith a hug and say, it's okay, buddy. You don't need to keep doing this. Anthony Smith emerges, Ben, with the split decision win over Ryan Spann. Kind of could have gone either way. Ryan Spann, by the way. 
one of the great, are you fucking kidding me? I can't believe I just lost this split decision faces from a fighter in a long time. Just kind of re- standing there in, in stunned shock with his mouth hanging part way open, looking around like, did everybody just see this shit? Did you yeah. see this shit with Anthony okay. Smith getting awarded the decision there? But, you know, and granted, I was already taking a certain kind of view of this one because you will recall that I had Ryan Spann in my four-leg parlay during our $20 We Never Want to See Again segment over on the Power Hour, available to our Patreon subscribers. And I hit every other leg of it. So I was a little bit annoyed to have my guy lose a split decision here and derail my $2 bet, which was going to bring me, Chad, a cool $10.74. And yet, it's like you're standing there, you're listening to the scores being read, you don't see any visible reaction on his face when you hear a 29-28 for Span and a 29-28 for Smith, which both, you know, reasonable scores given how the fight went. And you didn't have a reaction to that. If one judge could score it for the other guy and you didn't think that that was outrageous, then the fact that two of the three could score it for him shouldn't be that more outrageous either. It was close. I feel like maybe this is one where Ryan Spann kind of got screwed a little bit by the way the 10-point must system works in MMA, especially in a three-round fight. As we've said on many occasions, one of the big problems with it is that it fails to really distinguish between winning a round by a little and winning a round by a lot. Because the first and third rounds are both pretty close rounds. The third more so than the first. The second, he rocks Anthony Smith, eye blows up all crazy. Uh, Anthony Smith looks like he's close to being finished there at some point. A very, very clear Ryan Span round. Now, is it a 10-8? Not the way that people normally think of them. Probably not. Uh, so you end up with a situation where two close rounds, one that one guy easily, easily won, but that guy ends up losing. And I can understand him being frustrated with that. As for watching Anthony Smith and wishing he had another job, he does. Yeah. He does have another job. He is one of the few guys, in fact, who has another job. And we talked about last week, maybe it's just a question of how much that other job pays and how routinely he can get booked over there. Yeah. And it'll also it creates sometimes these weird things when you do have a guy who is a normal feature on UFC broadcasts as a, a desk guy, a commentator kind of guy, because it's hard not to notice when Michael Bisping and Paul Felder are calling the fight, that they are calling a fight of a guy who they feel like is a colleague, yeah. a guy who they interact with a lot more than they interact with the other guy because they all work at the the UFC broadcast stuff together. So at times that can't not affect the way they call the fight because they're basically watching a buddy of theirs fight some dude. They're going to be more on the side of their buddy. So that kind of is already built in there. And I I feel similarly about Anthony Smith because he does seem like a good dude, a smart dude. Seems like somebody that the UFC should be using a lot on those broadcasts, a sort of the fighter analyst guy. And also like somebody he mentioned in the cage afterwards, he's like, hey, I'm 35 and got a bunch of kids been doing this. Has like 55 fights. So he said, Jesus Christ, it's incredible. Yeah. And also though, we've seen... I think about as high as Anthony Smith is going to rise, right? Like he had his title shot against John Jones. It's hard to imagine this version of Anthony Smith becoming a UFC champion. So you're kind of like, are you sort of just in it to keep going to the ballpark and keep getting paid as they would say in Bull Durham? Or do you have some loftier ambitions? Because 
you walk out of there with your eye all blown up, you, that might be a time to think about how long is the juice going to be worth the squeeze in this sport at this age? Yeah, Anthony Smith has a, a record of just over 500 since that John Jones fight, but just barely. He's 5-4. and four. He's got three performance of the night bonuses over that span. So uh, you can understand why maybe he thinks it's monetarily worth his while to keep showing up. But Anthony Smith is one of these guys that we regard as being uh, particularly intelligent for a fighter, particularly well-spoken, particularly maybe self-aware being the most important part of all of those traits. And so you would think that Anthony Smith might know when it is time to walk away that you, but you can never tell with these guys. Like some of them have been athletes all their life. Some of them are just too competitive for their own good. Some of them don't have a lot else going on. Anthony Smith seems like the kind of guy that could get some other stuff, get some other irons in the fire, if you will. But I agree with you. It doesn't seem like Anthony Smith, even in a light heavyweight division that weight class wide is kind of experiencing new life in the absence of John Jones, but he doesn't necessarily seem like a guy who is just going to catapult up there and, and be the next champion. And it's probably something that he has to think about. Dare I say he thinks about it frequently. I don't know Anthony Smith. I don't really know anything about him, but it would surprise me if those thoughts weren't going through his head. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. You know, eking out a split decision that maybe you didn't deserve against Ryan Spann is probably, it doesn't signal you as a top contender, I don't think. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Taylor Loyal, who writes on Saturday, Elisa Holloway watched her husband jump out of the octagon after after his victory, not to call out another fighter, but to excitedly give her a hug. Moments later, Park Sun Yung's husband clung to her neck, weeping as blood dripped from a gash on his forehead. As fight fans, we often talk about our admiration for the warriors in the cage, but what about the partners waiting for them after the fight is over? Do either of you have any insight into the toll fighting must take on them? We have talked about this before. Yeah. And in a way, prize fighting is a little bit unique in this regard. But it's, you know, you even to just know someone, to like casually know someone who goes into the cage to fight in an MMA fight can be emotionally affecting and can really greatly uh, alter your perception of what's happening in there. And so I can't even really imagine how it would feel to have a brother or a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter going in there to have a fight and seeing the emotional and physical toll that it takes on them. And I guess if you are part of the family, I don't want to sound uh, crass in any way, but also like half the money that you're going to get from the fight that you may be depending on for your family goes to whether or not this person wins or loses, I would wager that it takes a special kind of person to have to be involved in that kind of relationship. And all of this is to consider nothing about how it affects the home life, which I think is significant. But I imagine it's just really hard, just really, 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 really hard. Yeah, that's kind of the point I was going to make, because, yeah, it is one thing to be dealing with the nerves of all the possible things that could happen and could go wrong on fight night itself from just, you know, them losing and that being a career setback to being badly hurt. And, you know, maybe you have something happen to you where it's going to affect 
the rest of your life or maybe just the next few months. I mean, we've talked to people where they're saying, talking about fights where they walk out of there and have to go get a steel plate put in their face. And that's, yeah. that's going to change the rest of your life. So like that, it's, it's not a small matter to watch a loved one go through that. And we've heard that from fighters even where, when they talk about, you know, guys where a sibling of theirs is also a fighter or a lot of husband and wife couples we've seen uh, where they're both fighters and they talk about how much harder it is to be on the outside watching than to be dealing with it yourself. But then there is the day-to-day stuff outside of the fight itself, especially if if you have kids and you have to go through a fight camp, getting ready for a fight camp. I mean, a lot of people relocate for their fight camps, go, go somewhere else to another city where they don't live. And so that means then... Uh, the sole childcare burden kind of gets shifted to one parent. That's already going to be tough. But also, you kind of have to be selfish as a fighter, as we've heard a lot of fighters say, especially when in during that time period where you're getting ready for a fight, you have to be fully focused on it. You're you're probably doing a couple training sessions a day. You probably don't have a ton of energy to come home and parent a toddler. You're probably laying there with ice packs on your bag or on your body for a long, a large portion of that time. And we've heard fighters talk about, remember when Chris Weidman said how he moved into the guest room, uh, getting ready for a fight and just basically had to tell his wife, don't let these kids bother me. Like that too is just one parent having to shoulder a lot of that load. That's tough. And, you know, then you lead up to the fight, its own nerve wracking experience. And then there's probably going to be a recovery period after the fight until we start getting ready for the next one. So that is a certain kind of life that you have to lead. And I'm sure that it's, tough in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I don't think it is a coincidence either that we at least sometimes see these people either date or marry other people who are involved either in the gym lifestyle or the professional fighting lifestyle for a lot of different reasons. And I think maybe chief among them that those people understand the game, right? That those people understand the lifestyle, they understand the sacrifices and the commitments, and maybe they are willing to uh, be a little bit more understanding in how that affects affects them in, in all aspects of their life. Uh, it seems maybe that would be easier. In some ways, it might also be as difficult or more difficult. But I just think that a lot of these fighters end up meeting someone and partnering up with them in some reasons, because in some respects, because they are both at the same place in life. And, and it's not they don't have that conflict, maybe because they, you know, they understand each other in that way. Right. Next question this week comes to us from our guy, Darkwing Duck, who writes, a couple weeks ago, you guys talked about how bad the recent antitrust ruling looked for the UFC. Well, this week, the same judge said he's fast-tracking things in the case into 2024. Did things just get worse? I would have to say yes. Things did just get worse for the UFC. We talked about how long it had taken leading up to uh, the, the judge, Judge Bolware, out there in Nevada, to certify this case as as with class action status, I guess, uh, moving forward. It had taken literally years to get to this point. But now in the wake of that, he's come out and said, hey, man, we're stepping on the gas here. We're going to we're trying to get this thing done in a hurry now headed into next year. So you better get your discovery together was essentially his message. And for the UFC, the discovery is formidable. There is a fucking shitload of discovery that they have to turn over uh, in this case. And not very much of it is going to look great for them. 
we expect. We expect that not a lot of it will be different than what we anticipate it being and the things that we have always known are going on behind the scenes in the UFC and maybe more. Maybe we will even find out more and if nothing else, we will see a lot of this stuff spelled out in black and white right in front of our eyes, not only for us, but for all of the fighters out there who actually care to look. Uh, And so you would think, Ben, that this is really going to turn up the heat on the UFC and might make it more urgent that they settle or in some other way find a way to get around or out of this case because otherwise yeah uh things it is sort of uh things just went from bad to worse perhaps for the ufc yeah when we were talking about this the class being certified we said that some of the options available to the ufc would be to appeal the class certification or to just try to delay as long as possible and this does not seem like it allows for very much delay at all and that would, I would think, make them a little more urgent about seeing if they could possibly form a settlement. One of the other things I saw brought up, uh, I think it was Eric McGrocken on Twitter pointing out that uh, could be a lot of disclosures in there about the UFC's cozy relationship with some managers. Could be a lot of communiques in there between the UFC and managers that would look bad for some of those managers if their clients knew how cozy they are with the UFC. And in fact, how that comes often at the fighter's expense. I saw John Fitch also talking about how, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of that in there, but that not all of it is going to be unsealed and released because only the stuff that's going to be in the actual case will be in there. So that maybe the worst of the worst stuff won't be seen. But you got to think there, just like we learned a whole lot about the UFC's business, about its internal dealings when this whole thing started we might be about to learn a lot more. Yeah. You know? I think it will be interesting to see if a settlement is proffered, if these fighters would want to settle. You know, I guess if there's a pile of money staring them in the face, guaranteed money, they might take it. But at the same time, a lot of this feels personal for these guys. It doesn't really feel like Nate Quarry and Kung Lee and John Fitch and some of these other guys are really expecting to get millions of dollars for themselves from this or at least they maybe they didn't expect it at the beginning i think that they they were really motivated by their own hard feelings after having left the ufc and feeling like hey i did a lot for this company and didn't get a lot in return we've heard nate quarry talk about his championship opportunity and and how it went for him and how he got paid for it and and the things he started to think about it after he was done with the ufc so I wouldn't be surprised if these guys were kind of like, no, let's go all the way with this just to see what happens. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm not John Nash. I don't understand all the ins and outs of it or the kind of power that they would have or who makes the final decision or any of that. But I don't know, man. It does seem like if this thing is going to start moving more quickly that the UFC would want to get itself out of it. But would they let them off the hook if they can, I think is an interesting question as well. Yeah, uh, especially because you can understand how these fighters would see some of these recent developments and go, we got the momentum. Things are kind of swinging our way so far. Yeah, yeah. Last question this week comes to us from Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. Good to hear from her. Yeah. She writes, did you guys see Sean O'Malley got the crown and champ tattoo on his face after beating Aljamain Sterling? What would have to happen in your lives in order to justify a face tattoo? Now, for hmm. one thing, this ain't this is far from Sean O'Malley's first face tattoo. 
Yeah. So it might be kind of like I've already crossed the river kind of a thing. Once you get one face tattoo, maybe it's easy to get more and more because well, you already got tattoos on your face. What's, yeah. what's the big deal to add a little crown and the word champion and some Roman numerals? Like not a big deal. For me, I can't imagine a happening that would justify a face tattoo, but m- maybe I'm not considering all the options. I don't know. Little tear, little tear. Maybe if you murder someone, yeah, it's you want uh, to commemorate that. It's a special tear that you get if you murder your podcast partner. I heard <laughs> it's like a blue tear or something. I'm not totally sure. Orange, maybe. See, the thing is, I don't have any tattoos as of now. You can't start with a face tattoo. No, 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 no. Yeah, you gotta what? you gotta ease into it. You need a couple gateway tattoos before you get into the face tattoo. Like if you roll into the tattoo parlor. And you're like, okay, this is my first tattoo. I'm very excited. And they're like, oh, awesome. Welcome. What are we, gonna, what are we looking at today? And you go, oh, I want a crown tattooed on my face. They go, I think that's when they, they pull the little rolling stool up real close to you. And they go, hey, what's going on? <laughs> what is this really about? And you have to have a little hard chart. I mean, I would like to think that anybody who rolls in and doesn't already have any face tattoos, regardless of other tattoos they may have, that there are, there's a little more chit chat that maybe has to happen between you and the tattoo artist before they go ahead and ink up your face. Like we just, we want to make sure everybody is of sound mind and making a, a choice that they understand the ramifications of. Just you know, maybe just a little more follow up questions of when you come in there seeking the face tattoo. I think. I don't. I mean, the co-main event podcast is totally tattoo free. So we might not be the the best people to ask this question at the same time. Like, I don't, I guess I know a couple of tattoo artists, but I've never talked to them in depth about this, but you got to think some tattoo artists are probably just like, give me the money. I'll do whatever. They have a very MMA fighter uh, (laughs) philosophy about it. But I would think there would be some tattoo artists would be like, nah, not doing that. I'm do I'm doing you a favor by not giving you, any kind of face tattoo. I will put a tattoo anywhere else, but not on the face. So I don't know. Maybe you got to go to like a specialty uh, DFW tattoo shop in, able to, in, in order to, to even get the initial face tattoo. How about this? How about if the CME ends its tattoo-free streak, we go down and we get tattoos together. Uh, I'll get your face and you get my face. Just like... Right there on the chest. Yeah. Central location. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to make you the appointment. And then after <laughs> you do it, I'll be like, I'll be right behind you, brother. I'm one foot in the door. After you do that, I'll be waiting right outside to, to go in and get get my own tattoo. It's good. I'm going to get a giant one on my back. And it's going to be you riding a majestic steed over some cliffs and like kind of looking out into the distance and and you have a sword on your back, like kind of Conan the barbarian style. Yeah. See, I was going to say, I was going to get you as like a samurai holding a severed head. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense on my back. Or maybe uh, you surfing and eating a piece of pizza. I don't know, which could go either way. We'll see. Then I'm I'm kind of like a cartoon dog or something, but you know, I yeah. see. I mean, I see myself more as a samurai holding a severed head. Honestly, it's how I think of myself. Most of us see you more as a cartoon dog. <laughs> so, 
I don't know. We'll figure it out before we go down to the shop. That's going to do it this week for listener mail on the co-main event podcast. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to air to us for future weeks of the show, you know how to do it. Go to our website, comainevent.com and click, click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, Ben, Max Holloway had come into this fight against Chan Sung Jung as a prohibitive betting favorite, surprising a little bit, I thought, to see how lopsided the odds were headed into this fight. But we made the point numerous times last week that perhaps stylistically this was a fight set up for Max Holloway to win, or at least set up in a way that where Max Holloway would have the advantage. And the fact was that the Korean zombie had numerous moments in this fight where he looked more dangerous than maybe we had given him credit for. He seemed to have a better than average knack for getting to Max Holloway's head and or chin. It seemed like he was landing hard punches. There were a time or two when he seemed to stun Max Holloway. The first round, there was a situation where he seemed to have Max Holloway in trouble. Of course, Max Holloway righted the ship quickly and put the Korean zombie on his heels during that very same exchange. Uh, but you know, the, uh, we'll talk more about the Korean zombie in round number two. I don't think he looked terrible in this fight, which makes the, uh, his decision to walk away a little bit more interesting. That is our round two topic. But as far as Max Holloway was concerned, I thought he faced more adversity than I expected him to in this fight. But at the same time, I suppose you have to say that the end result is sort of vintage Max Holloway because he accepted everything that Chan Sung Jung had to offer and, in essence, Max Hollowayed him until he was able to get the third round knockout. Yeah, uh, I was surprised at how many good shots the zombie managed to land in the first couple rounds there, especially in the first round. Um, Max Holloway, though, just seems like he is so calm in there. Even, yeah. even when you really pressure him and you're getting in there and you're landing some good shots, he is not freaking out about it. And his, his ability to take a hard shot and immediately counter you is really impressive. Uh, and, you know, I was interested in some of the stuff that he said before this fight and after the fight, too, about where he is right now in the division because obviously he came into this one as a heavy favorite you know 
was he like eight to one something like that at some yeah. point this was a fight where it was the the number one guy in the division below the champion and the number eight guy and so it's like you get in those kind of fights and there's only a few ways that it can go well for you and so many ways that it could go badly like if you just have an unimpressive performance and let the guy go to a decision with you and win one that way, that could be a little bit of a knock on you. Like that's the tough part about being in Max Holloway's position. And then the other part is you go out there and you knock out the guy that you were supposed to beat. And it's not exactly a instant launch pad into another title fight with a guy who's already beat you a bunch of times. Yeah. And so you're kind of, it'd be reasonable to ask yourself, what are you getting out of some of these fights? Because it does seem like the UFC has decided, well, we had enough of uh, Max Holloway knocking off our contenders. You give him somebody who you're excited about, who you think could be brought to the champion, he's just going to beat him. And then you're going to lose your contender without really gaining one. Yeah. And yet he seems very clear eyed about that. And the thing he was saying here was that, you know, he is just trying to be undeniable, trying to make it so that when you look around at some point, you go, well, shit, I guess we got no choice but to do Max Holloway in a title fight again. And I'm I'm impressed at him being able to sort of maintain that mindset because I could see we've seen other guys get frustrated with it when they wind up there or that's when they start thinking about making a weight class move or something else because they feel like, okay, the path has been blocked. And for him to just be like, hey, I'm still just like 32 years old. I'm going to go out there and still just continue to try to get better and be as good as I can possibly be and sort of accept that beyond that, you can't control everything. I, I'm, I'm impressed with his ability to sort of embrace that mindset. Yeah, he did try to jump weight classes as recently as April 2019, but we all remember that fight. They, you know what? In retrospect, maybe we underestimated how little favor they did for him by matching him up against Dustin Poirier. Like, all of the water that has since passed under the bridge has only made us feel like Dustin Poirier is better than perhaps we were giving him credit for in in 2019. But at the same time, uh, yeah, I don't know for Max Holloway if another lightweight jump, certainly I don't think he's really talking about it, but I don't know that it would be that ill-advised if he could get a non-Dustin Poirier style matchup or two to try to get his feet wet in that new division. At the same time, I think you make a valid point, despite the fact that there is a lot of mileage on Max Holloway. uh, He's, he's still pretty young in the sport and who's to say what will happen at 145 pounds and how many future opportunities there will be for him. He certainly seems like a guy who will be on the cusp of championship contender status a fight or two away from a title shot kind of perennially at all times. So, you know, maybe he's doing the right thing to uh, to stay put and just kind of keep plugging away. He also has been very successful at doing that, has only lost in recent memory to one featherweight, and that guy is the champ. Unfortunately, he's lost a few times to that guy. That makes it tough for future matchups, but at the same time, he's beaten everybody else. So I don't necessarily know if it is caused to tear up the whole blueprint and do something else. Let me ask you this. Was the fact that the Korean zombie was able to hit him more than we expected worrying to you for Max Holloway? Or did you just think uh, the Korean zombie, maybe we underestimated him. Maybe he just did better than we thought he would do. I was more inclined to say the latter, honestly, that because it's like, 
I know we look at this matchup and we go, Max Holloway should win this 10 times out of 10. Max Holloway is the better boxer here, is the slicker uh, fighter defensively. Um, And so then it is surprising to see uh, the zombie land any good shots on him. But I don't think Max Holloway went in there thinking, I will not get hit at all. You know, I think he's pretty reasonable about how this sport can go. And, you know, he got hit and maybe pushed back a little bit, but you never really saw anything where you felt like Max Holloway's in big trouble. Yeah. You know, he, I honestly, I thought he was going to finish that uh, Darce choke uh, that he got what, in the second round after he dropped the zombie. And it seemed like maybe he did not follow up uh, when he first had the zombie hurt. Yeah. He was sort of looking over at the ref. And maybe that was the... You know, Max Holloway is a good dude who doesn't want to hurt the zombie any more than he has to. And it made, it almost cost him there because it's like then he sort of, as the zombie recovered quickly and went for a takedown, then he locks up that choke. And I thought he had it, man. Yeah. He he was had that thing on deep and was cranking it. Um, but, you know, the zombie tough as hell. So yeah. this we knew. It wouldn't really have been a Chan Sung Jung fight without one trademark Korean zombie moment. And that I think was him surviving that choke, just reminding us that he is a member of the walking undead and you cannot choke a zombie. You have to, you have to take his head off, which is what Max Holloway ultimately ended up doing in the third round of this thing. Chan Sung Jung came out of the corner very aggressively, seems to really want to get in Max Holloway's face, uh, sucker him into a firefight and momentarily it seemed like he did that and obviously that turned out to be to Max Holloway's advantage as he is an incredibly slick boxer and counterpuncher and was able to get the finish in doing that at the same time like I didn't necessarily hate that from a Chan Sung Jung offensive standpoint it was risky it was the kind of thing that was probably going to lead to his demise but I think maybe we already knew things weren't going his way scorecard wise or uh you know, strategically in this fight. And since he had been having the success hitting Max Holloway pretty hard, I don't know, the the aggressive start to round three wasn't necessarily the technical blunder to me that I saw at least some people on online saying that they thought it was, that that was just like a crazy thing for him to do. For me, I kind of understood it. Yeah, and it's not like things were going spectacular to where you're like, oh, you blew it. You had it right there in the palm of your hand. Like, I mean, he was lucky to survive the second round. That's right. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We're going to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, I, I have heard rumblings that perhaps you and I have the same Are You Fucking Kidding Me? this week. Yeah. Yeah, I think we might. This one uh, pertains Stephen Thompson. A, uh, you know, a story that we've been tracking here on Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And just saying stuff, frankly, because it turns, it keeps turning out applicable twists and turns in the story. And this week we got another one. What with Stephen Thompson, Stephen Thompson, excuse me, adding an addendum to this original story when Dana White came out and said, oh, you know, he turned down one fight. We offered him another one. He turned down that one too. What do you expect? Well, we're not just going to pay the guy for showing up and doing nothing. As it turns out, According to Stephen Thompson, the fight that they offered him was Jack Della Maddalena a few yeah. weeks in the future. I think in Australia, right? They offered him a fight basically yeah. in Jackie Flatnose's home country, which I don't mind telling you uh, if I were Stephen Thompson, I'm not sure I would want that one either. Well, especially on short notice like that. I mean, that is an interesting 
counter to Dana White's claim where he was like, hey, you guys think what? We ought to just pay this guy? He didn't fight? Well, he showed up. The other guy missed weight. And the UFC said, hey, we offered him another fight. He turned it down. Why should we pay him? And they did not say the fight we offered him was flat-nosed Jackie. Yeah. You know, in a couple weeks. Or like he also says, the UFC said, okay, well, how about next weekend in Vegas? And he was like, next weekend? Like, I just was preparing for this date. You know, it's not the same thing. You're not saying like, okay, hey, you came in here, you did everything you're supposed to do. Uh, and then you're going to be like, okay, you were planning for your, your body and your weight cut and everything to peak at this point. How about you just do it all again next week and we'll call it good. Like, yeah. no, it's not the same thing. That is not at all the same offer. And so for the UFC to kind of act like that, when you were offering him a tough ass fight on extremely short notice, are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding Come on me. now. We all know what you're doing there. <laughs> and if you're Stephen Thompson, it's sort of like, number one, you didn't do anything wrong, right? Like, no. this wasn't your fault. It was Michelle Pereira's fault. And then you refused to fight the guy for reasons that Stephen Thompson has already explained in the media. He has had bad luck doing that in the past. And then if they offer you Jack Della Maddalena in Australia... That really sends a message to you, right? If you're Stephen Thompson, not only maybe like what they think of you in general, yeah, but also sort of like, oh, now you're trying to fuck me. Like now, because I didn't want to do this fight with Michelle Pereira after he missed weight, now you're just going out of your way to giving me a shitty one. Yeah, and it also, like you said, tells what they think of you that here you are, you're 40 years old as Stephen Thompson, you know you don't have a ton of time left in the game, and the UFC is kind of trying to use you as a stepping stone, because they are clearly more interested in, in the future for being in the, the flat-nosed Jackie business, and they're kind of trying to use you as that. Again, after you did nothing wrong, it was the other guy who fucked up by coming in way overweight. Yeah. You fucking kidding me? fucking kidding me that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two Chad, the Korean zombie told us before this fight with Max Holloway that there was a chance it could be his last. Yeah. Now, you and I mentioned on Friday's Power Hour that maybe trying to determine whether you still got it or not against a guy like Max Holloway, who, again, has beaten everybody except for the champion, was being a little harsh on yourself. But... Korean Zombie goes out there, does pretty well in the first couple rounds, better than we thought he would, for finally getting knocked out, does indeed retire. And then I need to read you this statement that he posted on his Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I saw it via Twitter because then it kind of puts some stuff in perspective. Quote, I haven't achieved everything, but I've achieved enough. And wanting more in my head is like greed, so I'm trying to stop. I feel like I've received undeserved love compared to what I've done, so I'm grateful to everyone. Now I don't think I will live a life of being judged and compared anymore, so I feel free, relieved, and scared. In the meantime, thank you so much for loving Korean Zombie. I was really, really happy while fighting in the UFC. Thank you, UFC and Sean Shelby, Dana White, for letting me live this life, and it was an honor for Blessed MMA to be my last fight opponent. Let's greet each other with a bright smile someday. Big smiling emoji. Hashtag end. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever seen anybody do it better than that. I, I was damn near brought to tears when I read that shit, man. I mean, that's poetry. 
pretty close, right? That's uh, that's about as eloquent as we've ever seen it done. I know Chan Sung Jung's not operating in his first language there, and who knows if that was translated for him by somebody else, but that is, that's just outstanding. Like, that's, that's the best uh, retirement note that we've ever gotten. And like, just, I think speaks a lot to the Korean zombies mindset and speaks a lot to what kind of person he is. And it was almost like, after I read that, I was sort of like, well, now I wish we would have got to know this guy a little better when he was still here. Like, obviously he became a very, uh, well-loved figure in the sport. You know, he had the Korean zombie nickname, which seemed wonderful. He had the the Korean zombie shirts for a while that I thought was, was great marketing for him. He was in all kinds of popular and exciting fights. He really turned himself again into a, a mini industry in the UFC, which as we say time and time again is, is even more impressive considering uh, what uh, the UFC has turned its own business model into. And then you get this statement that it's like, man, I would have liked to see some more soul searching reportage on what was going on with the Korean zombie this whole time, because apparently he's got the, you know, the soul of a poet living inside yeah. the body of a warrior. Especially this line. Now I don't think I will live a life of being judged and compared anymore. So I feel free, relieved and scared. Yeah. There's a lot packed into that one sentence. Tells you a lot about maybe some aspects of the pro fighter's life that those of us outside the cage don't think about that often. Right. Tells you a lot about you know, some of the psychological weight of that stuff that you carry around. Also tells you some stuff about his ability to be honest about the the complex mix of emotions that he's feeling there. Because yeah. as a lot of fighters have talked about before i remember doing a story on this for the athletic and talked to a bunch of fighters about why retirement was so difficult for them and several of them were saying that it's like you go through an identity crisis because you lived so long being this person knowing what you were always trying to do when you woke up in the morning was become a better fighter get ready for the next fight and then suddenly you become the person who used to do that and you face a little bit more of a open-ended question as many of us do with just your day-to-day -day existence and that's a big shift to have to make and i don't something about the way he is approaching it here makes me think that this one's gonna stick yeah. that he seems to have the a realistic attitude about it but also man it it also kind of reminds you like people didn't just like this guy because he went out there and would put on a slobber knocker for you uh is that you know whenever we got to hear from him, he seemed like this kind of a dude, like yeah. that there was a, a good heart in there. Yeah. Well, and the other line that, that I don't think you mentioned right there, but like, I know to go on would be greed is like yeah. another very telling and a kind, kind of like eloquent way to put it as well. Like we just talked at the beginning of the show, how much this fighter lifestyle affects not only the fighter themselves, but also everyone around them, their family, their friends, their kids, uh, their wife or husband or partner and everybody else. And like that line feels like a nod toward that in addition to perhaps like a nod to the physical toll that it's that fighting in this style uh, is taking on his body. And so kind of hit every high note as far as I'm concerned, like every line in there is indispensable and it's just very, it's nicely done and, and, dare I say, tightly written, which is, you know, even among the best 
kind of like fighter writing that we've seen is not necessarily a compliment that you could place on it. Like it's very economical in its words. And that's what gives it to me a lot of its power. Uh, yeah. I wanted to get to this question before we move on from our guy, Tommy zero, who brings in an interesting point that I hadn't, I hadn't thought about. So let's bring this up here. He says, obviously tough to see the zombie pack it in for good. He was always someone that I tuned in for. And as far as I can tell, seemed to be one of the good guys. I think something worth discussing is the potential impact of his mandatory military service on his career. He was coming off a title challenge to Jose Aldo in which though he was probably behind, he separated his shoulder. He is then not in the octagon for three and a half years which were arguably during his would-be prime ages, 26 to 30. He missed out on Connor's short-lived reign, though that would have been fun to see, and was back in the UFC just after Max took over. Did we miss out on a potential zombie window in these years? Uh, I'll be honest, I had totally forgotten about this, that uh, Chan Sung Jung had to go do his military service, but indeed was gone from the UFC from 2013, August of 2013 to August, I'm sorry, to February of 2017 in the wake of that Jose, Jose Aldo loss. Uh, and that is, that does seem incredibly significant to me, especially as Tommy zero puts it here into the context that like he was gone from ages 26 to 30. And then when he re 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 arrived in the UFC, Max Holloway was your champion which was sort of like he was going to hold it down for an extended period. So I, yeah, I don't think we should underestimate the, the impact that that had on the, the total body of work of Chan Sung Shung. Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's not as if there were too many periods during the existence of the featherweight division in the UFC, where it was easy, where there were easy pickings at the top It was pretty much all the way through from Jose Aldo showing up as the featherweight champion on that, whoever has been the champion of that division has been really, really good. Nobody that anybody is coming out of retirement to fight because they think that they're an easy mark. So that is worth noting, but it is, that is a significant time in your life and a significant portion of a fighter's career to miss due to the mandatory military service. However, Chad, I'll just say this during those years, you know, what didn't happen? What's that? Nobody fucked with South Korea. (laughs) No wars. No yeah. invasions, no attempted invasions. Nobody tried to s- start a war with South Korea. Nobody violated their sovereignty. I'm not saying it's because they were scared knowing that the Korean zombie was over there in the ranks, but it's it's mighty coincidental, don't you think? Yeah, you're not. Nobody in- wanted, no problems. Nobody wanted that smoke with South Korea when the Korean zombie was in the military. Yeah, you're not not saying it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's just a fact. It's just a fact. Yeah, you're right. It's just a fact. Um, all right. That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, Ben, as we said at the top of the show, the UFC is off to Paris, France next weekend. Acor Arena, granddaddy of them all. A heavyweight main event pitting Cyril Gaon against Sergei Spivak. And frankly, a noticeable French and European contingent throughout the entire card. Cyril Gaon, of course, uh, the former interim UFC heavyweight champion, but one and two in his last three with losses to John Jones and Francis Ngannou, the most recent one in March of this year, where it just took two minutes and four seconds for John Jones to choke him out. Sergey Spivak, uh, on a three-fight win streak and a winner in six of his last seven fights, he got TKO'd by Tom Aspinall in September of 2021, which in retrospect is nothing to to hang your head about. But he's got three consecutive uh, first or second round stoppage victories. Greg Hardy, which we all clapped our hands for back at UFC 272. Yeah. Augusto Sakai in August of last year. And in February, a submission arm triangle choke over Derek Lewis, uh, which ought to be illegal, but nonetheless goes down as a victory for Sergey Spivak. <laughs> uh, let's start with Cyril Gone, who feels like he is at a pivotal point here. Does he not? Yeah especially a pivotal point when it comes to his strengths and weaknesses and how they will probably henceforth be attacked by future opponents. Because you're coming off that fight where John Jones just right away took you down and choked you out. It took barely two minutes. And prior to that, your other loss in the UFC was where Francis Ngannou, not known for his wrestling chops, went out there on one good leg and wrestled you into a decision loss. So if you're somebody who's fighting Cyril Gaon at this point, you got to go out there thinking, well, I'm going to make this guy prove that he has really upped his wrestling game. Yeah. Because the alternative is standing there and striking with him. We've seen how that goes. He's pretty goddamn good at that. Now there's reason to believe that he is not very good at all at the (laughs) wrestling and grappling aspect of the game. So if you can get a takedown early on him, put him on his back, that seems like a pretty short path to victory from what we've seen if you can do those things. And the question is, has Cyril gone closed that gap in his game? Because that is often a really tough gap to close, especially in a short period of time. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the toughest one, right? That's, that's, we often talk about that as perhaps the most difficult of any of the, the holes in a person's game to close, because a lot of the people who do, uh, come from a wrestling background have been doing it their entire lives. And, and, you know, maybe it's just a little bit, I don't want to piss off the strikers out there, man, but I guess I'm just going to say anyway, maybe it's regarded at times 
uh, as a bit more uh, nuanced and technical, perhaps. I don't know. Don't get mad at me, punchers. I don't. Last thing I want to do is make a bunch of punchers mad. Uh, yeah. These hitters. Right. Coming I, for I, don't, you. I don't need to be out here with these hitters. Uh, but I'd be surprised. I would be surprised if Cyril Gone suddenly shows up and, uh, you know, is a is a top level striker, a top level wrestler. Then again, is Sergey Spivak? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we have seen Sergey Spivak find some success in getting on the ground and unloading with some strikes down there. And as you said, you know, had a submission victory over Derek Lewis. So there's one where you showed you can go in there against a guy who knows how to throw them things and you can avoid it. You can find an area where he is not as good and you can win it that way. You gotta think that's what everybody is talking about in the gym with Sergey Spivak, right? There's just no way those guys are sitting around being like, all right, here's where you want to prove that you can strike too. We're going to go out there and prove what a good good kickboxer you are. Hell no. What we're going to do is, you know, we're going to go out there, touch gloves in the center, you know, maybe faint a little bit, dodge the head side to side. We're going to see if we can back him up a little bit. First time this guy tries to come forward and throw a strike, throw a, a, God forbid, a leg kick. We're going to get in there and try to take his ass down. Bull him back against the fence if you have to. The first initial shot doesn't have to be the one that puts him down. Let's just get into some kind of a wrestling exchange with this guy and make it a priority to get him down. Because we've seen some of those fights where we go, okay, this guy's going to try to get it to the ground eventually. He doesn't want to rush that. He doesn't want to make it seem like he's coming out there right away from desperation and is trying to get it down to the mat. Um, So he has to at least sell you on the idea that he has some striking prowess to help set up the takedowns later on. But I will point you to the cautionary tale of Curtis Blades when he went out there and fought Sergei Pavlovich. And granted, Sergei Pavlovich is a scary-ass dude. But that was just a few months ago. And remember, he went out there and was sort of like, okay, you know, I'm going to get to the ground with this guy. I'm going I'm to start wrestling him eventually. But didn't manage to make it to that point because he got stunned early on. And then the next thing you know, you're out of it and you never even got a chance to do your stuff. I would think Sergey Spivak is going to make sure that he goes out there and at least forces Cyril Gon to answer some questions about the wrestling. Yeah. I mean, if anything, perhaps it's a good sign for Spivak that Cyril Gon has not shown the same take a big breath and stand up. Uh, ground defense as Derek Lewis and you just you know you just tap Derek Lewis your last time out I'll flip the script though what does it mean for Sergey Spivak to beat Cyril Gaon at this point when we have already seen the apparently gaping holes in Cyril Gaon's game and you know, obviously he hung the interim gold for a while he's got the interim uh banner up in the gym over there in France uh but in the in terms of the race between the two Sergeys the UFC's two Sergeys, Sergey Spivak, a little bit far behind a Sergey Pavlovich at this point. If he wins against Cyril Gaon, does that is that significant? How far does it does it take him? I guess. I think it's still significant, but I also think you know how people will do, yes. if, especially if he comes out here in this one, takes Cyril Gaon down, uh, beats him with strikes on the mat, submits him, something like that or even just wrestles his way to a decision, if he beats him that way, the way we think that he has the best chance to beat him, sure, people are going to be like, good win for Sergei Spivak. You know, you beat a former interim heavyweight champion. That's a good one for you. You know, especially better to win than to lose these fights, Chad. I think we've noted that often enough at this point. However, 
What people are going to say come Monday morning is Cyril Gaon has done been exposed <laughs> as a guy with no ground game who can't wrestle. And that's the, the way to beat him. And if you can wrestle at all, you're going to beat that guy. Like, that's what MMA fans are going to say about him. They're not going to be like, holy shit, Sergey Spivak is the truth. Yeah. They're going to say, you know, I mean, good for him. He'll get some propers. But what they're really going to say is Cyril Gaon can't do a big portion of mixed martial arts. And people have found it out. And now he's going to see nothing but that unless the UFC goes out there and finds him somebody else with no wrestling to match him up against. All right, let's go ahead and we'll do just saying stuff this week. Uh, ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, I have some updates for you about this very fight card over there in Paris. And it's your favorite kind of MMA story. Oh, man. Oh, I can't wait. <sighs> News out today, I believe. Uh, I'm looking at this MMA mania story by Jesse Holland, but Chad... I know it's going to break your heart to hear the fight between Muran Gafarov and Taylor Lapalus is off because of visa issues. And also the fight between Lucas Almeida and William Gomez is off due to an injury. Chad, I'm just saying a fight, two fights that you didn't know were going to happen aren't going to happen anymore. Your favorite kind of story. Not Willem Gomez. Was that what it was? William Gomez? William Gomez. Oh, not Go-Go Gomez. That's my guy right there. I'm so disappointed to find out that the fight I had no idea was happening is now not happening. Just saying. It's, I know how much you love these. I didn't want you to miss an opportunity for two of them to drop in one day. Yeah. Oh, man. This fight yeah. card just slashed to shreds now that you're not going to get that Muang Gafarov bout. Yeah, no, it's this just card. Saying. This card is dead to me. I just, I'm not even going to watch it now. Now that thoughts and prayers. My, ga- my guy, La- Lapsley, Evan Lapsley. What was that guy's name? Taylor Lapalus. Taylor Lapalus, the lap dog. Uh, he's not. <laughs> he's not going to be out there. I'm done. I'm off this. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll go watch Barbie this weekend instead. Going to take in a Saturday night showing, Saturday morning showing, whatever it is. Not watching this. Just saying. Sorry, now, see, to, I just sorry to have to be the bearer of bad news. Well, Ben, this week I'm just saying Ilya Tupuria busted out the sawed-off shotgun on Saturday in the wake of this uh, Max Holloway, Chan Sung Jung fight and just started just blasting, just blasting everyone for no apparent reason. Here he is. I respect these two at Blessed MMA and at Korean Zombie MMA, but it's time for them to retire. At Sugar Sean MMA, keep rising up, and maybe one day we'll get to share the octagon and you at Alexander Volkanovsky. Get ready to tap out. The masterclass is coming for you. Enjoy the weekend, everyone! Exclamation point salute emoji. <laughs> Enjoy the weekend, he says. First of all, the masterclass? Okay. I'm not not into it. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. It sounds, you mm-hmm. know, he should be out here uh, dressed like the genius from old school WWF, right? Tapping his tapping his temple and, and talking about uh, how he's the poet laureate of the WWF or whatever. I respect Ilya Topuria for just, he's putting everybody on blast. Not just one guy or two guys. He's just going uh, full auto strafe the entire street kind of drive by tweeting here. 
I also like that he added everybody just to make sure, yeah. like, I want to make sure all of these guys see this. Max Holloway, retire. Korean Zombie, retire. Well, he did He did actually retire, so <laughs> there is that. Um, you can't fire him. He quits. That's right. Volkanovsky, get ready to get tapped. Sean O'Malley, uh, whatever that is. Of course, Sean, they got they got into it after this. Sean O'Malley and uh, Topuria went back and forth. But uh, I guess I'm just saying, put the guns down. Topuria, haven't we had enough violence you're just out here indiscriminately just firing shots, shots across the bow. I'm just saying, just. He got fired up. Unprecedented violence. You hate to see Sometimes it. you just just wake up just, just ready to go, you know? I guess so. In any case, that is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. Reminder, you can find us over on Patreon. We'll be there all week churning out the content. Hit us up, patreon.com slash co-main event. We would love to welcome welcome you to the Patreon family. If, you, if not, we'll talk to you next week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. <laughs>